0: Welcome to the Lola Community Podcast. In this podcast, we will have questions, quotes, and conversations between different people, and your host will be Pleasant Salecki. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, guys. It's Pleasant. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's really such a blessing and such a wonderful part of um, our community and the work to be able to do this with you. If you love our podcast, I'd appreciate if you would share it with a friend, write a review, share on social, um, really helping us spread the messages and the wisdom and the teachings of our lovely, beautiful, authentic community. You can also support the podcast financially right here on the Anchor app or in iTunes, and you can leave me a voice message. I'd love to hear your voice. Chime in. Give me a comment or a question. Send our guest um, a question. Send Sailor for her meditations a question or a comment or feedback. We love, love, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for all your support. And uh, Om Shanti. Peace to you all. Okay. Hello, everyone. Yael's here today. Say hello, Yael. Hi. Are you Israeli? I'm not. The name is. I know. The that's what I was just, it just hit me. I had never asked you that before. Tell us about your background.
1: Um, born in Brooklyn. Yes. To Holocaust surviving parents from Europe, hence the name Yael. My, mm-hmm. Most of us who are children of survivors are named for a dead parent, unless mm-hmm. our parents had like 10 kids. Mm-hmm. And um, so my, I'm named for both of my grandmothers, Yulishka. And they just took the Y and and found the name Yaal, and then my other grandmother was named Anna, so my middle name is actually Hannah. Um, mm. So I grew born born and raised in Brooklyn, and then Queens, and lived for a while in Manhattan. And um, I guess I guess I you know I, I, just important to say that my father was in the printers union. I grew up in a blue collar. Home, my home was actually in a limited equity co op uh, for printers and their families. And I actually still in DC, I'm now living in a limited equity co op for activists. So I haven't kind of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And um, um, my parents both died. I'm an only child, and my parents uh, were both dead by the time I was 15. And So sort of their experiences um, wow. in the in in you know under the Third Reich, I mean, as, as part of Nazism, their experiences come as immigrants and refugees, and then um, in the mental health system, which was not quite as compassionate as the as it is now. I mean, we we didn't really know anything about trauma at the time. And then their early deaths, I would say uh are sort of the the biggest uh shaping factors you know in my in my life and in all the the work that I've done and so many of the decisions that I've made
0: um this is a lot (laughs) and I'm so glad I mean a lot in a good way because my mind is racing with questions and curiosities around your own healing. And I know what kind of work you
1: do and we'll get to
0: that, but how old were they when they died? Were they? They
1: Yeah, they were both in their late fifties. So they had me when they were in their forties, which was quite late for, for the, I was born in 1968.
0: And where did they, where did you go when they died? Did you just start living
1: by yourself? what did you do? Um, I did until child welfare got an anonymous letter and came and interviewed me and then I lived with a friend and her family for a few months. Then I lived with, uh, an older aunt of mine for about six months and then I dropped out of high school and, uh, went to college a year early. They accepted me without a degree. I still don't have a high school degree. I have a master's now and I have all these like certifications since then. But, um, but yeah, I, I did not take the uh, conventional path.
0: <laughs> what was your connection to spirituality, God, health? Like what was that like? Were they sick and sort of how did you
1: feel about all that? What was yeah. that like for you? So, so, so two—they're kind of two questions, right? So, yeah. when I was a kid, I at first uh, there was always a connection to religion because of the Holocaust that was sort of like negatively posited. So, the fact that I had a name like Yaël Hannah Flesberg in a neighborhood that was white ethnic immigrant um, with with other immigrant communities. Um, mixed in, but where there was a lot of Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism was not easy, but my parents were like, well, if you forget you're Jewish, someone will remind you. So we might as well just Mm. give you, give you that name. So, so, and then when I was in kindergarten at a public school, I had um, a teacher who did not, who did not like the three Jews in the class um, and did not was just not a, a giving or loving mm. or encouraging teacher to me as a five-year-old. So then I got pulled out, even though we weren't religious at home, um, I got pulled out and I went to an orthodox yeshiva for from first to eighth grade. Wow. And so there was sort of, I, I'm really grateful for that time, but it yeah. definitely created also this dichotomy of mm. um, you know, on one hand, I knew my father's father was a Hasidic rabbi on a passenger ship. And that was how that part of the family was able to get here before the final solution began. But, you know, I used to like eating fried shrimp at Joe's Seafood on Roosevelt Avenue. And then I would go to the school with the rabbis and have to wear long sleeve shirts or um, all this kind of stuff. So I, I was always very conflicted about Um, Judaism in particular and I I didn't see it as that spiritual and you know I think that actually has to do with my later attraction to more eastern Mm -hmm. forms of spirituality and I kind of have since come full circle. Yeah me too. because I I think the Judaism that was being taught and even practiced in the 60s and the 70s was was much more of a like legalistic, let's not get ourselves in trouble. Uh, We don't have to follow the superstitious belief of our ancestors. I mean, it was really trying to be something else. And uh, with the departure of so many Jews in the 60s and the 70s to to Buddhism, to yeah. Hinduism, uh, to mindfulness practices, to yoga. Yeah. I think I think Judaism was sort of forced, at least in the in the US, to sort of re, yeah. to, re to rediscover these much more mystical roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I'm sort of happy. I, I also spent a year, I decided that I had at one point I decided I had a pediatric relationship with Judaism. Yeah. Childlike, and that it was necessary for me to. Um, I mean, the word Israel actually means "He who wrestles with God," right? That's <laughs> what Jacob was renamed, and I was like, "I need to engage in some God wrestling here, yeah. or some like Jewish wrestling." And uh, writing for me was—I uh, discovered writing at about the same time I discovered meditation and yoga—and so mm-hmm. writing for me has also always been a spiritual practice. And, yeah, and I decided to spend one year you know, I, I kind of had a very manageable goal, which was mm-hmm. engage in some Jewish practice once a month mm-hmm. and write a poem about it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was a little bit more than that, you know. Um, but but after about a year of doing that, I had a really, uh, just a, I, I was able to revise my yeah. my view of what Judaism was and even what some of the um, teachings that I had been given when I was a kid was. So, mm-hmm. so for me now I would say, oh my God, thank God that I went to yeshiva because I have a mm-hmm. I have at least some fluidity, some way mm-hmm. of moving in those circles, and also some ways of connecting quite profoundly with what I was born into. Yes. And what what my own personal legacy was. And then it, I can connect the dots with these other uh, practices really from all around the world that I've been uh, so blessed to study.
0: Yeah, the more that we sort of take a dive and um, study and investigate, the more we're so similar. And, and what I'm also noticing, I've had a similar sort of like return to the more mystic side of Judaism and the more spiritual side of Judaism that was not Um, that I did not always find in big reform synagogues (laughs) on the East Coast, which tend to be more focused about money than the new moon. Um, And uh, one of the things I've noticed is is that my love for Eastern philosophy, now I'm finding Jewish teachings and connections and spirituality that is the same as the Eastern (laughs) philosophy. It's just I had compartmentalized it and separated it
1: well you weren't given it i right. mean reform the reform right. the reform, right. reform judaism was created in the 1800s by german jews who wanted to be more german than yeah. jewish yeah. and they found the ways of the ancestors quaint mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, so i think that's you know mm-hmm. that's what you were given it yeah. it's, it's been beautiful to see within orthodoxy i mean you know reconstructionist renewal i mean i think i think more of the spirit of judaism mm-hmm. being being able to come back and and that makes everything yeah. so much richer, right? Oh,
0: so and just like now, when I teach, I teach on Friday nights once a month, and we light Shabbat candles, you know, in the yoga studio. Mm-hmm. And if I teach on a Saturday morning in the dark early, I've taught a few times at Center for Mind Body Medicine uh, training, and we have a six thirty a.m. class on Saturdays. And so I'll bring my candles, and we'll chant, and then we pray, and then <laughs> we give hugs, and say Shabbat Shalom. And it's just very fluid yes. because it's and what I've noticed is that it's so, it like pulsates through my body in a way that's so much more rich and deep than the, um, and this is not a judgment, but then like namaste, because namaste is not my specific culture and language. It's, It's like something I was borrowing for a number of years to feel this thing that I loved and felt like home. But now I've like, you know, kind of gone back over to like, Oh, well, let me integrate the OM with the Shabbat Shalom. And then kind of, <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, that feels like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's been really interesting, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and it I say that like studying more has made me love being Jewish and Buddhist in a human in, in nature, like all the things rather than the separation that um, my very like limited viewpoint for a number of years really had and I was very as the more that I was learning about yoga and studying eastern philosophy I'm like oh well I was born Jewish but I'm not Jewish like I was very angry towards it or sort of closed and not angry but closed and and limited and now I find more um connection so that feels better in my body you know
1: Mm mm-hmm
0: how did you find yoga? How did you move from being 15 and being alone to, or on your own, I should say, not alone, uh, to?
1: I mean, yoga uh, found me. I mean, I I think it, it was popular, right? It was sort of gaining popularity. And I I mean, when I became more aware of it was in the 90s. I, you know, found a book on a like at a garage sale. And it happened to be an Indian woman who, um, lived in, uh, upper Northwest DC and taught maybe mainly to embassy wives. And I, and it was just illustrated. I don't remember the name of the author, but I would try to do some of the poses. And then I actually, um, kind of had two early teachers, one of whom was, um, actually a Jewish great-grandmother at the time named Ruby Blue, who I, I think I found her at the Jewish Community Center at 16th Street, and she also taught at Gold's Gym. And um, I just loved her attitude. She couldn't do all the poses by that point, but she always had a big smile on her face, and she was just very real, not a lot of bullshit. She was, she was in a way, but she wasn't traumatized the way Um, the older members of my family were. Mm -hmm. So there was a generosity and a softness to her, Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to this sort of like in your face, straightforward. So she was like a slightly improved version of -hmm. of some of the older women Mm -hmm. I had seen. Mm -hmm. And then I just, I had started practicing uh, more power yoga. I I bought like all three of Brian Kest's videos (laughs) because he had like cut off jeans <laughs> yeah. and like long curly hair and he would wear this like tricep bicep bracelet you know what I mean the mid-arm cuss yeah. <laughs> <So> and <cool. laughs> um and then a studio opened up kind of kitty corner from my house which was uh you know later known as inspired yoga mm-hmm. and it's Kira yeah. Sadovsky, who's yeah. now in Portland Oregon and that's actually how I met you I started yeah doing work study there so I could practice um, as much as I want. And it was, it just, it it kind of all fit in. At that point of my life, I'd been doing activism with immigrants, Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of leadership development, capacity building. I sort of, I sort of went back and forth between wanting to make sure as individuals, people had all the the skills and the tools that they needed to make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. But then I also saw that it was necessary to help organizations be stronger so that the movement itself could be stronger. And I, I really just for myself, I had gotten into yoga and writing and then street theater and meditation and shamanism. I mean, all these different practices as a way of figuring out how to i i I don't think I at the time would have been able to articulate that uh that I had trauma i mean it was really clear to me that that my parents had experienced trauma and that they had died and and there was stuff that I couldn't figure out but uh, you know twenty twenty high like would they say yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty and yeah. it was really clear to me that i had like all the classic you know symptoms of trauma as well and i I slowly kind of started working on that through, through really all of these practices. Yeah. And, and in fact, the same year, I guess i had been practicing yoga for about seven years when I became a yoga teacher, I, I decided to go through teacher training. Mm-hmm. And it was that same time that I discovered Reiki, yeah. which was the original reason why me and you were going to talk, but it's yeah. all, you know, for me, it's also so intertwined and, yeah. and you know, I guess one other thing I do want to that, that, that you brought up from before is, is I do think that a lot of these practices, you know, whether it's, you know, the very odd, specific kind of Buddhism known as Tibetan Buddhism, or whether it's Kabbalah, I mean, or Reiki, you know, these previously hidden practices have all seemed to in the past. 40 years or so emerged mm-hmm. and come out of hiding. Mm-hmm. And, and we could see traces of that historically. I think Krishnamacharya, one of his ancestors, was considered, I want to say it's Krishnamacharya, I might have the details wrong, was considered crazy because he would literally stand on the rooftop and and shout out the secret mantra mm-hmm. of his clan. But generally, you know, it's sort of like, this is secret information. Only a yeah. few people can get yeah. to mastery level yeah. to know it. And I think we're, we're just seeing this like, no, I, the world needs this yeah. right now. And yeah. so it's all coming out. And th- they are all, I think, so related. Yeah.
0: And so what did the, what happened with Reiki? Did it start to become, I mean, is that, would you consider, is that what you're doing full time now? Tell us a little about how you're working now, where you're working, and then sort of that evolution from being introduced to these tools and techniques to I, I really know you now as a powerful Reiki healer. So for the women who are listening, and maybe some men, but mostly women, um, what is Reiki, what is so powerful about it, and how is it showing up in your life?
1: Yeah. So Reiki, uh, I mean, key is, is uh, chi, <laughs> is prana is life force and Ray means universal so we can say that reiki is just this uh, universal energy that animates every living being um, on earth and uh, I was introduced to it because I had a bad breakup <laughs> often isn't that how we get into all these practices <laughs> oh, there's some yeah. shit that happens and we have to get through it and yeah. I did I did three sessions uh, with a woman named Roja O'Black uh, over at the uh, the Butler Park Center, which oh, is yeah, on Jessica. 15th and New Yeah, a oh, beautiful place. Yeah. Um, and I had a really uh, palpable experience with energy for the first time. In my yoga practices, I couldn't feel it. Mm. And, and actually this guy who... Uh, who I had the, the hard breakup with, like me and him would do things like we would clap 108 times and then massage the center of our palms and try to do all these exercises to feel the chi. And I just, I I could feel it, but it took a lot of effort. And, and that's also what I felt like about like Kundalini yoga or other yoga practices that are really much more focused on energy. And And what I noticed is that with Reiki, I was immediately able to feel it. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to, um, I mean, I I sort of joke, I I say like, you know, Reiki is, is there's many different forms of, of working with the energy body. Mm -hmm. And I would say almost all cultures, ancient and modern have some ways of looking at uh, you know, of an energetic map of the body that's superimposed over the physical body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's like the chakras in the Indian system or the Haras or the Dantians, right, in the more East Asian systems. Um, and and you go through different levels in Reiki and it's very, very simple. And, and the, the learning mainly consists of a sort of cleansing of your energy system, what what we could think of as our energy vortices or the aura. Mm-hmm. So there's something you have to let go of. There's like schmutz to discharge, dis- discharge right? And I think of it like energetically, it's sort of like a, a water hose. Like if you're trying to water your garden with a hose, but you have forgotten to turn on the water, then nothing's going to flow. So sometimes we have really low levels of energy, or sometimes there's a kink in the hose, and we could think of that as um, blockages or stagnations. And you just kind of got to get them out of the way. So with Reiki, you sort of do that discharging, and then there's 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 something that's very akin. We call it an attunement.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? So.
1: Uh, you could think of it as entrainment, you know, the way that birds, a flock of birds will fly together or a school of fish will just like move on a, on a, on a hair, right? Um, And that really also helps us hold on to a greater amount of energy, some people would say at a higher vibration.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then once you, once you experience that, my experience, my, my personal experience was that then I was able when I was doing yoga, when I was doing my breathing practices, for example, when I was moving my body in, cert- in a certain way, I could then connect with the way that my energy flow is different. Mm-hmm. And I started to also understand that my moods were related to energy. You know, So how I felt going into a yoga class and how I felt going out of a yoga class was not just about the physical exercises, although that's super beneficial, but it was about this more subtle, mm-hmm. um, subtle uh, ingredient, which is which is the energy. So, so for me, I mean, and I have studied other forms of energy work, mm-hmm. including polarity therapy and shamanism. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about Reiki is literally like a child can be taught to do it. It's not hard to do. It's super simple. It's a gateway. And then if you want to get much more specific, such as, you know, acupuncturists are, you can go for it. And um, so I, I it took me about because I like to take time and sort of practice things and chew on things. Mm-hmm. And it took me about six years from, mm-hmm. maybe seven years from when I first started, when I, first, when I got that first session mm-hmm. and when I became a Reiki master teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously, you know, a lot can change in that process and the process of learning and diving in, you know, one, one thing always informs another. Um, mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to say, how did Reiki change my life? Yeah, it's right. just that I was sort of open to using all sorts of practices to, to transform. Yeah. And, and which also meant that at some point I believed that I could transform. I mean, I, yeah. I had to believe in the power of redemption and transformation in order to, to be open to that.
0: Was there anything sp- specific you notice about your own transformation of being able to include the shamanism and the reiki and all the in the yoga meditation, all the practices? But mm-hmm. I have so many, um, like just in my own life, in my own memories, uh, specific examples of how I was holding anger and trauma in my body before it released versus how I look at things now. So do you have any specific examples that stick out that are useful to
1: people? Yeah. I mean, I would say that there was often just a very low level amount of discontent Mm. and I, I couldn't really, I, I didn't really know why, like there, it was hard for me to feel satisfaction in the moment. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think Reiki sort of, because, because it's, you know, as my as my uh, teacher, my Reiki teacher, Luann Jacobs, always says, it's not really about any of the techniques. It's not about, like, if you hold your hand like this or like this, and you'll <laughs> see this and, like, literally, right? But it's about your presence. Yeah. It's always <laughs> about your presence. And so just coming back and again and again to, like, what kind of presence do I um want to bring right now? What is, Mm -hmm. what is, what is actually the quality of my presence right now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I I think I've been much more accepting of who I am and how I show up. Mm -hmm. You you know, early Mm -hmm. on, early on, and even my yoga uh, practice, there was a sort of a lot of, you know, just kind of new age woo woo, Mm -hmm. which didn't go with my practical, working class, Jewish, Mm. blunt, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, wisdom, you know? And, and so like, Oh, you just have to think positively or just, you know, just practice gratitude. No. Mm. I mean, the thing about trauma, the thing about anger, like these are emotions that also want to be listened to and cared for.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I think really, uh, you know, learning to, like, in a non-bullshit way, accept, like, observe how you are right now, accept mm-hmm. how you are right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe try to scratch, like, well, what's underneath this, mm-hmm. right? Scratch the surface. <clears throat> and then you could, like, uh, as mm-hmm. Nadia says in the very first episode of Russian Doll, like, what choices <laughs> do we want to make? Oh, my God. love <laughs> know? she's amazing <laughs> oh, she's amazing also a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors in, yeah. in real life and her character is on the show I don't think I'm I'm doing too many spoiler alerts yeah um so that like that was a really big thing for me is sort of not kind of I couldn't really connect anyway to all yeah. the spiritual bypassing to all of the like <laughs> love and light be Nice, just be, yes love everything light. is great love and light because I didn't feel
0: like that, right, and it's um, not in your cells, and it wasn't the truth it's not the truth of our people, right, right. It's not the truth of a lot of people, but I also think when you're actually seeking at that deeper level, and right. in uh, our community, our online community, next month we're doing uh, ancestral healing from the Ayurvedic perspective, and kind of just getting to know what's out there and asking people to start doing some of this work and thinking about some of what's flowing through them.. Right. Right? And when you do this.
1: Which might be connected to epigenetics. and yeah, of DNA course. And right, like what the, what the Chinese call ancestral chi is, yeah. I think, like what you inherit, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think also Reiki um, was because it is about the body and it is about putting your hands on the body and feeling, yeah. you know, what do you notice? What are you sensing? And, and that deeper observation also allowed me to notice like, oh, there's very particular things happening. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll, actually I, I could think of one, like I'll give you one example. Yeah. From the time my parents died, really, I would have these like moments of feeling off and I couldn't really describe them to other people, except you know, at the time we had radios. And so I would play, I would put on like my favorite radio station and the music seemed offbeat. It was, it was as though the bass wasn't right. It was as though the percussion wasn't right. It was a little speeded up, a little slowed down. So, so my auditory sense was off, mm-hmm. and that was all I could describe. And everyone was like, "Oh, I don't know what that is." And it, it was only after, you know, doing the kind of deep self observation work through my Reiki practice, through my yoga practice, that I started to realize that it wasn't that there was something wrong with me in a general way. Mm -hmm. It was I was having an incident. I was having an episode. And during these episodes, the sensations would include a shift in sensory input. Mm -hmm. And there would also be um, a shift in my own heart Mm -hmm. And the minute I was having one of these and a a friend called, and when I described to her exactly what I was feeling, which I had been incapable of ever doing, Mm -hmm. I realized that it probably could be categorized as something like Uh, a panic episode, mm -hmm. an anxiety episode. Mm -hmm. And I have never since then had that again. Mm -hmm. There was something so powerful about my ability to observe it Mm -hmm. and name it and share it with someone who was a safe person for me that completely healed me in that one way. I mean, many, many other layers. Um, Did you grow up or...
0: Uh, have, have you had a really strong sense of intuition and guidance from the inside out for most of your life? Or did you develop more of that um, as you tuned into some of these practices? And how do you sort of talk about that in now? Yes.
1: <laughs> so I think I had always a very rich inner life. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of imagination when I was young, and Mm -hmm. I would say imagination is actually key to intuition, Mm -hmm. but we're not always taught that. Mm -hmm. That imagination was sometimes stymied, Mm -hmm. you know, like with other kids. I remember when I was four, I was drawing lines in marker Mm -hmm. on the white walls of the foyer, and... In my mind, I was talking to my grandmother and other beings Mm -hmm. who I'd never met in real life. All my grandparents died before I was born. And and I remember thinking they don't live here, but they don't have a home here. Mm. So these lines, they can, because they're energy beings, they could use them to enter into the walls and the walls can be their homes. And as you can imagine, I got the crap beaten out of me for doing that. So I, mean, I think there is, you know, and it's only later on. Through. Did
0: you stop doing it then because you were shamed for it?
1: I think so. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know that I would have made those connections, but as yeah. I've gotten older and as I've, lo- I've studied shamanism and, and, and uh, mysticism, Kabbalah in particular, yeah. lucid dreaming, I've realized that, you know, people use the word instead of imagination and they'll say imaginal, like the ability to conjure up, mm-hmm. um, images, the ability to daydream is, is sort of the way sometimes that I think spirit talks to you. Yeah. I, I, the more that you get used to observing you know first you go in through the gross body through the mm-hmm. physical body the more concrete the you know the more palpable and then what what i've learned through all these practices is to become much more observant of these subtle mm-hmm. energies and i i don't really think of it as being um woo woo i mean in in a sense like there's now there's now m- machines that could measure electromagnetic current of our heart up to 30 feet out that didn't exist when I was a kid so I I think what it is is that your brain and nervous system is just processing information Mm -hmm. that you can't necessarily see Mm -hmm. but that which is palpable um, to it (laughs) And so of course, the longer that I, you know, the longer and, and, and the more consistently that I've done these practices, the more seemingly intuitive I've become. But I think this is just because my brain nervous system has become more skillful at seeing patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much in the same way that like, I think he's been in the news recently. I think his name is Gavin Beck, uh, who is a, a consultant, a security consultant for Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. he wrote a book in the 90s called Fear. And he said, you have to trust your gut. It's not. It's, it's partially your gut, but it's also that your brain is, ta- is constantly mm-hmm. taking in information, which you can't possibly process. Your mind can't process it as quickly mm-hmm. as the brain can. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I, I don't, necessarily do really cool tricks like other friends like i can, healers and spirit guides. yeah like i you know occasionally you yourself. i might yeah. be able to see a little aura i don't yeah. see things so do you much. hear things
0: or feel them or
1: i sometimes yes i sometimes hear things or yeah. i just have a knowing yeah um i might have certain sensations in my body that will you know, so I might ask a client questions mm-hmm. that are coming
0: that. up that you're being guided to ask because of your system.
1: Yeah, but I, you know, magnetic. exactly, yeah. exactly. But I still try to engage in like healthy boundaries and like non-asshole yeah. behaviors. So I try not to be like, <laughs> my spirit guides are right. telling me that you have a messed up relationship with your mom. <laughs> you know, right. I, I, I try not, <clears throat> and that's, that's also been my training. mhm-. Mm-hmm. You know, not using my intuition in a way that is prescriptive, Mm -hmm. because I don't Mm -hmm. think that that's, you know, I I want to help activate the healing mechanism in whoever it is I'm working with. That they already
0: have. You're not giving it to them. You're not this all powerful being guru who has the answers. They have it. Within them.
1: Right, and, and, <laughs> and we see what happens whenever anyone is yeah. in charge. Right. No, right? I don't want to have sex with all those guys. Thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so instead, I try to like ask yeah. questions. Yeah. It's or, a more feminine
0: approach to it, as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. I think. I think. True.
0: Yeah, um, and I have been using because science is proving so much of what we've been studying. In our traditions in so many ways which is awesome because you can be a believer because of experience or you can now read all the research and so that's great is that i've been saying wow wow instead of woo woo because i'm like it's just awesome it's a wow we don't have to we don't have to now be derogatory towards our own practices that are being proved and that are, that are alive in the world. Like, it's awesome. It's amazing that we know this and we can change the, all the neural pathways and networks, especially if we come from long lines of suffering and pain and trauma. And that's interesting. And who knows what we'll know in another 10, 20 years. Like, right. that's what's so cool about watching this level of conversation and consciousness expand into the mainstream is Absolutely. like, wow. And Absolutely. letting feminine come right along for the ride, all the unknown, all the creative possibility, you know, making
1: space for dreaming. <laughs> and the connection. I mean, yeah. I, think, I yeah. think that's just one way, like you can describe yeah. like Reiki. It's just about connecting. Yeah. you know, Is, and-
0: Reiki, is Reiki going through something like yoga where uh, it's, it's having um, a lot of attention and heyday. So there's a lot of trainings by people who are not practicing and having their own integrity. (laughs) Does it have the same level? I
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. But I mean, I I think Reiki was maybe more popular a few years ago than it is now. Yeah. I I think Reiki like yoga, um, (laughs) but for different reasons, you Mm. know, uh, people, who teach Reiki often like will create their own school of Reiki. And yes. the reason for that is that you know, once you're you've learned something from your teacher and the <sighs> way that you practice it is gonna be different. Up. Yeah, right. Because, totally. yeah. because maybe you have different interests or of different course your lens. Or different ways of learning. And so mm. originally, out mm. of respect for your teacher, mm-hmm. you wouldn't call what you were teaching what they taught. Mm-hmm. So often you know, so there's a whole variety and and people mm-hmm. have come up you know there's like Egyptian Reiki with much more mm-hmm. Egyptian mm-hmm. focus symbology um because there are there are also these like sacred symbols in Reiki and mm-hmm. different ways of working with the mm-hmm. uh, with the energy body yes yeah, so i I think you know there's no unlike yoga now, which now has like a national certifying body, right, Yoga Alliance, or if you're a yoga therapist, (laughs) um, the International Association of Yoga Therapists, Mm -hmm. there's, there's Reiki associations, Mm -hmm. but there's, there's not the, there's not quite the same certification body nationally or internationally. Um, So who's it
0: good for? Someone's listening and they're like, okay, that sounds interesting. Is that for me?
1: Yeah, I think that Reiki is amazing. If your goal is stress reduction, mm. if if there's uh, pain in the body. I mean, I always think that Reiki is good before and after surgery, before and after childbirth, um, to maybe, you know, if, if you have a chronic condition or an autoimmune condition and you really want mm. to strengthen your nervous system mm-hmm. to be of help, because really stress mm. is a key component of almost every single yeah. chronic condition and, um, mm-hmm. and autoimmune disease that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, will it, will it, you know, will it cure? I would say no. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I make a distinction between healing and curing. Mm-hmm. So for me healing is a little bit more like reconciliation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming into relationship with what is it's, maybe accepting it a little bit more, um, being calm about it, and being able to, to, you know, so you can heal into your death. A cure is you get rid of whatever the condition is. And, and you know, I have had uh, incredible experiences of my clients being cured, mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's the Reiki. I don't know. You know, I think that that probably just jumpstarts something in their own system. Uh, almost no one just does Reiki, and I I would be a shitty practitioner if I said just do Reiki. But can it be can it be helpful? Yeah. Like when I I went through a breast cancer diagnosis three years ago, and did I get lots of Reiki? Yes. Anyone who offered it to me, I said yes to. Was it helpful in helping me? figure out where there were, you know, traumatized pieces of me that were very old that I mm-hmm. needed to heal. You know, were there aspects of myself that I needed to forgive? Were there relationships with other people that I needed to mm-hmm. forgive? Mm-hmm. Um, all of that kind of stuff, I think Reiki really helped me every single day figure out what do I need today mm-hmm. in order to heal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that. And we, that's like the guiding, one of my Ayurvedic teachers, she's like, if all you ever take from Ayurveda is to know that you just wake up and ask yourself, what do I need today? It's brilliant. Like it will change your life, you Mm -hmm. know, Uh, mother yourself, parent yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that we have in common is our, I think we're both (laughs) multi-passionate. So what does your week look like? How are you working with people now? And what are the different ways that you work with people? Oh, yeah,
1: that before. Where
0: can people either in DC or beyond find you or work with you or read your writing or all of that?
1: Yeah, I've been, I've been not so good at my blog writing oh. because normally, <laughs> so, so you can always go to my, <laughs> you can always go to my website, which is this so I'll link
0: website. it in the show notes. Yeah, too, I'll link that. it in the show. Okay.
1: Um, so that's one place. And then, um, I, though I'm constantly sort of tweaking what I'm offering, I think, yeah. you know, going through my Reiki master's training, and then I did a clinical fellowship in Reiki at GW, where I was on the palliative care team at GW mm-hmm. hospital. And I was doing Reiki, um, inpatient, um, as well as outpatient at the GW center for integrative medicine, mm-hmm. um, W- was so helpful. I'm, I'm still I'm still affiliated with the GW Center for Integrative Medicine. And that's a place where if people want to work with me one-on-one, they, they can. But it was so helpful for me too, because it helped inform like, oh, if I could do Reiki on people in clinical settings, like this is what I want to do in yoga too. I didn't want to be limited to like gyms and yoga studios. And yeah. so I'm also a yoga, I've since become a yoga therapist, mm-hmm. which is um, an additional 800 hours of Mm-hmm. of training and so really all my offerings whether it's individual sessions or classes um, and I offer retreats as well that people can come to both both local and, uh, and international and then I lead mainly for other yoga teachers uh, yin yoga teacher training which is mm-hmm. yin yoga as a style of yoga that's a little bit more meditative and it's focused on the tissues that surround the meridian. So I believe it is a practice that's especially good when you want to work with the energetic body. And I really um, incorporate a lot of what I've learned, you know, by being a Reiki therapist and a, and a yoga therapist into, into those practices. Uh, in I, I am doing in, in some ways because I think more people now know what yoga is and because yoga therapy involves not just the physical body but the energetic body and the psycho spiritual body mm-hmm. it's sort of easier f- for me to put everything under that umbrella yeah and or we could say mind body work and that's yeah. essentially the yeah. the I'm working 100% mm-hmm. you know in that in that sea, Mm -hmm. Um, which has been just such a beautiful way of going back to how can I help Mm -hmm. individuals transform? How can we help build community? Mm -hmm. And how could we uh, kind of impact change in a broader way? Yeah. Sort of one,
0: even one by one by one, right? Because of that.
1: Or class by class by class. Every single time I finish a, uh, you know, Right. I finish a 50-hour yin yoga teacher training, I know that those students are taking yeah. out an anatomy-informed approach, a trauma-informed mm-hmm. approach, an energetic-informed uh, approach in teaching their yoga to the world. And mm-hmm. I think we need more people with that integrative mm-hmm. vision. And, you know, not just to look at ourselves as machines. Robots. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: what I'm yep. Um, there was one final question I was going to ask you and it just slipped my mind. I guess how I want to sort of wrap up is just, I want to honor you for the work that you do and how you're doing Thank it you. and doing it every day, not giving up, especially here in uh, ground zero these days, living in Washington feels a little like
1: uh, <laughs> Here is where people need the work. I mean, we have so totally. many cultural creatives. Yep. We have so many people who are um, all about social justice. Oh, that's what I was going to ask Social you. change, activism. Yeah.
0: What's your activism work look like now? Is it separate from the trainings and the the yoga therapy, or are, like are there specific organizations you're working with that you want people listening to know about, or work that's happening? Let's rise up. Some other.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, my activism is much more limited than it used to be mm-hmm. because I have other kinds of family responsibilities. I think yeah. my activism yeah. was probably at its peak in my 20s and my 30s. Yeah. And it gets a little harder as you get older. I'm, um, I am the board chair of an organization called Antidote, which mm. takes a public health approach to essentially to extremism. Mm. And... Um, really tries not to, and, and, and that extremism can be people in cults, people in gangs, mm-hmm. um, white nationalism, I would argue, you know, I mean, people have, have talked about the word cult, like when discussing yeah. the current political situation, and sort of really figuring out from a neuroscience perspective, what happens to people, what, what makes people so vulnerable to uh, Mm -hmm. dangerous manipulation Mm -hmm. and I in in that way I see it as being really related to all the trauma work that I'm that I've been so interested in personally and and Mm community-wide so um yep I would say that that's like one of my main forms of activism right now and then continuing to do activism within within the yoga circle just trying to change that. You know. Which needs a lot as well.
0: All of our circles need our love and light. <laughs> Absolutely. At that, at that real level, not at the let's bypass it and pretend it's not happening level. What, was there anything, I'm just curious, anything that you found from the science, from the habits and patterns of some of the extremism for joining groups? Have, we, have there been any, well, like, are ha- aces, scores all really high or something like that? Yeah,
1: you no, know, we, like- haven't, we haven't <laughs> gone into that level of- so I, I can't tell you that oh, would be the next step. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Oh, like yeah. what makes people so vulnerable? And, you know, that's a question that we've been asking in uh, trauma too. Yeah, Why yeah, is it that you yeah. can have two siblings exposed to the same thing Yeah. with really different resiliency yeah. um, capacities? Yeah. And I do think that you could teach resilience. I mean, the other thing to remember is that um, your brain doesn't stop developing until... About the age of twenty five and I think so many people that get caught up and we could look at these two young women, one from Alabama and one from the UK, who were uh, basically war brides right of ISIL, mm-hmm. and who both want to return you know respectively to the us and to the uk and and um, you know they're about twenty four now I mean I, I think that there's a lot of stuff that happens to us when we're young mm-hmm. that we're just we, we're, we're not and maybe we're incapable of of seeing a thing for what it is mm-hmm. and projecting out into the future, mm-hmm. right? To have that kind of presence and and awareness until we're a little bit older.
0: Yeah. Um, what does your daily practice look like? Do you have daily rituals or practices that it really help you? Yeah, I do a gratitude
1: journal every single mm-hmm. morning. I've done that for about nine years, mm-hmm. um, and that is sort of like my hunting the good stuff mm-hmm. as a. Professor Seligman calls it, so it also includes highlights of the day, acknowledgements, things mm-hmm. I didn't completely fuck up. Um, <laughs> I do some form of movement every mm-hmm. day and uh, I also have like chronic back issues. So lately that movement has been more PT than stretching and sort mm-hmm. of the more yoga mm-hmm. stuff. I, uh, I think it's really important to be out in nature mm-hmm. every day and mm-hmm. to be connected, I think we do have, you know, Nature uh, generated a, uh, um, ADD, computer generated ADD. <laughs> so I try I really try very very hard to uh, to get offline, to get disconnected mm-hmm. from technology, mm-hmm. in order to kind of connect back to mm-hmm. what matters. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love it, Eric. Um, you know, one of my writing and writing. I would yeah. say like right even every day, journaling. It's so
1: important. And, you you know, in whatever way, free writing, like for me, and I I teach, you know, I teach a weekly uh, mindfulness and writing class because I just think that sometimes Mm -hmm. the insights that you have in there, I mean, for some of us sitting still Mm -hmm. is just not going to happen. But if you're focused on doing one pose for five minutes or writing Mm -hmm. uh, without thinking for 10 minutes, like these things to me are all really mindfulness practice you were bad. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Were no, I was
0: just going to say Eric? that Eric, Eric Schiffman, one of my yoga teachers, have you ever taken anything with Eric?
1: I wish. Oh gosh. he's. But so He good was also it. like an early, I remember the Allie Mc, McDraw. Oh, totally. Totally had <laughs> that video VHS. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then he did a
0: bunch of stuff in his backyard, which he like put together. He's just so adorable and real. But what he, <laughs> one of the things that he always teaches is like, you gotta unplug to get the download. Like that's how he always says it. is like, go get the master download, Go upgrade the system, get your software update. Like he uses all the technology language, but he means get away from it because you already have it. And he says it like that because he's a surfer dude to go Dumbledore you know so but I think that's totally
1: true it's totally
0: true I mean that's like he he's like it's right here it's trying to teach us something but you can't do it with the thing like he's just always go get your downloads (laughs) and get away from the
1: computer (laughs) I love it I love it
0: um Okay, yeah, El. thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do in the world and all the people that you're helping. I want to come to that mindfulness and writing class, so you'll have to give me the detail. Where is it and when is it? It's, it's uh,
1: Thursdays from 1 to 1.35 at Recharge, which is okay. a mindfulness and power napping studio. I uh, teach uh, a yoga nidra uh, class right before that. Oh, I do the mindfulness and the writing.
0: Okay, well, I'm adding that to my schedule. That will be awesome to come to. It'll
1: be great to see you in person.
0: (laughs) Yes, I know. In real life, my favorite. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Miss Yael. Take care of yourself. Have a beautiful day. Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat
1: Shalom. Bye. Bye,